In his highly influential and widely circulated study of global Christianity, The Next Christendom, historian Philip Jenkins wrote that over the last century, the center of gravity in the Christian world has shifted inexorably away from Europe and North America, southward to Africa and Latin America, and eastward toward Asia. Today, the largest Christian communities on the planet are to be found in those regions. If we want to visualize a typical contemporary Christian, we should think of a woman living in a village in Nigeria or in a Brazilian favela. Now, the same is true within the global body of the church. Maybe when Jesus told his disciples, Go ye therefore and teach all nations. That's my best Jesus voice. Matthew 28, verse 19. He was envisioning the days we live in now. A day where we can witness of God's kingdom in this glorious gospel all throughout the earth. The gospel has gone out from North America to countries and territories in all the world. But in the past few decades, we have been witnessing God's kingdom coming to bear as missionaries are coming from the majority world. They're coming from away from these North American coasts to North America. Pastor Elias Limones of Pittsburgh, California, is one of many such missionaries. He's a native of Ecuador. But Pastor Limones immigrated to the United States where he would go on to found Los Pentecostales del Área de la Bahía, the Pentecostals of the Bay Area, a church of over 1,000 members. It started as a Spanish-language ministry serving the Hispanic community. It has quickly grown to reach non-Spanish-speaking, native-born North Americans. And as a result, the Pentecostals of the Bay Area is now a bilingual congregation with weekly services in Spanish and in English. And that story is being repeated all over the U.S. and Canada. We are living in exciting times. This global revival that is sweeping across the world bears witness that God's intercultural kingdom has arrived. And we'll hear more good news about that right after this. Welcome to God's Word for Life Lesson Companion Podcast, brought to you by Word of Flame Curriculum and the Pentecostal Publishing House. This podcast encourages adult disciples to think deeply about God's Word, further develop their personal relationship with Jesus Christ, and make a greater commitment to the purpose and plan of God for their lives. Let's dive into today's lesson and explore what it means to live out God's Word in our lives. Good day to you, God's Word for Life listeners. You are listening to L.J. Harry. I'm your host. You're listening to the God's Word for Life Companion Podcast. And today's episode is titled, So Shall It Be, coming from Matthew 13, verses 47 through 50. Matthew writes, Again, the kingdom of heaven is likened to a net that was cast into the sea and gathered of every kind, which, when it was full, they drew to the shore and sat down and gathered the good into vessels, but cast the bad away. So shall it be. At the end of the world, the angels shall come forth and sever the wicked from among the just, and shall cast them into the furnace of fire. There shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. All right, let's unpack all that. As a Jewish rabbi of the ancient Near East, Jesus related truth by telling parables, stories that engaged the imagination and opened the hearer's eyes to what he was doing in the world. Now, we can think of biblical parables as earthly stories with heavenly meanings, but that definition does not quite capture what Jesus intended through this method of teaching. This popular definition of 
Earthly story for the heavenly meaning implies parables are little more than arbitrary illustrations used to explain a universal theological truth that we could apply across a broad spectrum of life situations. But Jesus was more specific than that. His parables always had a precise message related to the specific context in which they appear. Many parables, like this one here, the parable of the net, do not stand alone. They exist within a series of related parables, and when you read them together, they act as commentary on what is happening in the story. So before we dive in to apply the parable of the net, we have to first consider the message Jesus was communicating through all seven parables that appear in Matthew 13. They're known as the kingdom parables. Jesus addressed some of them to the crowd, and others just to the disciples. Six of the seven begin with the phrase, the kingdom of heaven is like. Hence, they're called the kingdom parables. The first parable, the parable of the sower, does not begin with that phrase, but when Jesus gave the interpretation, he did say the seed was the word of the kingdom. So we could lump it in with those kingdom parables. This series of parables follows a stretch of stories that features various groups' reactions to Jesus and his ministry. That includes a general crowd, religious leaders, family, and his disciples. And sadly, most reactions were negative, which created that occasion for Jesus to tell the parable of the sower. And thankfully, Jesus interpreted that parable himself. (laughs) He gave us the answer key for the quiz. He used imagery of seed and soil to contrast how different people respond to the news of the kingdom of God's arrival. Same seed, different soil. And his point was that All of us respond in one way or another, but sadly, not everybody who receives an invitation to the kingdom of God accepts the invitation. Some who hear the word have ears that are dull or eyes that are closed. And sadly, that leads us right into the next parable. So let's stop for a moment and let's do a little review because we've already covered this in a previous episode. What are some good soil ways we can respond to the gospel? Now, the next parable Jesus taught stems from the one he just taught. It's called the parable of the wheat and the tares. From the first parable, the parable of the sower, we see the the sower is hard at work sowing seed. But in the second parable, the parable of the tares, we see there is another force at work. The devil, Slewfoot, Satan, Lucifer, that low-down, no-good, yellow-bellied, dust-eaten devil. He's at work also. Those who wholeheartedly Except Jesus' invitation into the kingdom of God are like the wheat, but those who reject it are like the tares or the weeds. Some might have been wondering if Jesus really meant what he said and the kingdom had in fact arrived, and why is evil still at work? And he answered that question with this parable. The kingdom of God is present, but not in its fullness, not yet. When the kingdom comes, and it will, there will be a final judgment day. In the parable, Jesus called that day the harvest. Until that final judgment day, good and evil will continue to coexist side by side. And that doesn't sound like great news, but when we consider the mission of God, it is the best news. People who right now live outside of God's covenant could receive. It's the news that while he may not be here yet, he is coming and there is still time to get ready. Here's another question. Have you ever wondered why God does not always intervene when evil is present. It's kind of age-old question. It's akin to the age-old question, if God is so good, why is there so much evil? And how could God let bad things happen to good people? 
It's very similar, but certainly this parable teaches us that good and evil will coexist until one day God will right all the wrongs and bring every sin to account. Thank God for his mercy. His mercy continues to give us an opportunity to get right with God. Just because God has not judged sin yet doesn't mean he won't. Him withholding his judgment is in itself an act of mercy. It is rooted in how much he loves this world. I I found amazing when I was studying the book of Revelation, the ways and the, the means God uses to reach the world. When you consider everything he has used, he, he tried to reach through Adam and Eve, but Adam and Eve sinned, so then he, he reached through Abraham and the nation of Israel, and then he came through the prophets and they preached to the nation of Israel to get right with God. Then he, Jesus came as God in flesh, and then he gave us the church. And then when you look in Revelation, he will have 144,000 witnesses. Then he will have two witnesses. And finally, when he could just brush his hands and say, I'm done with everybody. I tried for 65 books. Revelation could be just an all-out war on humanity. God will send an angel to preach the gospel to anybody who will hear and obey it. What an awesome, merciful God. When he could judge us, and he has every right to, he still reaches first for mercy. No wonder the writer said mercy rejoices against judgment. God withheld his judgment and withholds his judgment until that day. Just another evidence of his mercy. Now, back in Jesus' day, they wanted a show of military might. They wanted this tsunami of wrath to fall on their enemies, but that's not the way of the kingdom of God. Jesus said the kingdom of God is like a tiny mustard seed. That's the third parable. It grows over time into a tree big enough for all birds of all kinds to come and build their nests. This kingdom parable is likely in allusion to Ezekiel 17, which foretells of the Gentiles finding a home within God's covenant people, because the kingdom of God is for all people. And Jesus likened it to a small measure of leaven that slowly but steadily makes a global impact. And for that reason, God has been withholding his judgment to give those outside of his covenant time and space to hear and respond to the gospel. With these parables, Jesus extended another invitation to the crowd as if he was saying, it's not too late. You can still respond. You can still be good soil into which the word of God can grow and be fruitful. This altar's open you can still respond. Here's another question. Are you experiencing mustard seed growth in your walk with God? And if not, what do you think you could do to change that? Mustard seed growth is that growth that it may not look like much, but it is growing into something great for the glory of God. After reaching for his audience one more time, Jesus sent the crowd away, and then he had an intimate talk with just his disciples. They went inside the house, and Jesus talked with them. It starts the second set of these twin parables. Jesus affirmed his disciples' commitment to the kingdom of God that they would live their lives and possibly even give their lives for this glorious gospel, showing that they're the good soil, they're the wheat of those previous parables. They had essentially sold all, paid the ultimate price to obtain this precious treasure, which, of course, he refers to in the parable of the treasure in the field and the pearl of great price. And now we arrive at the final parable of the seven. Jesus spoke in Matthew 13. This parable sums up his message. 
Besides the obvious overarching theme of the kingdom of God, another theme repeats. The context seems to justify a harvest of every kind as a reference to the broad reach of the kingdom announcement and the two types of people who will hear and respond to that very announcement. Just like in the previous parables, you had different types of soil and there were wheat and tares. All who hear the word of the kingdom of God must decide how they will respond because one day will be judgment day. The parable of the wheat and tares and the parable of the net both speak of final judgment. They employ imagery of separating the good from the bad. The bad goes into a furnace of fire with wailing and gnashing of teeth. But since Jesus included language of Gentile inclusion along with the language of judgment in his teaching about the kingdom, we would do well to reflect on this relationship between Gentiles being included. That's me, I'm a Gentile, I'm not a Jew. But thank God there's room in his kingdom for me. There is a relationship between Gentile inclusion and judgment. Jesus began his earthly ministry by announcing the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That hope filled the hearts of the Jews in Jesus' world. For generations, the people of God had been reading the scrolls and singing the songs and praying the psalms and looking forward to that glorious day when God himself would reign in peace and justice from Zion. He would put Israel back on the top of the podium again. And in that day, the nations would stream to the holy city of Jerusalem and they would learn the ways of the one true God and that would fulfill God's promise to Abraham to bless all nations through his descendants. For the Jews in Jesus' day, their hopes were so high. They were the ones who had returned to the land after years of exile in Babylon. And yet when they returned there, they found themselves living under the oppressive thumb of Rome in their own homeland. Throughout Scripture, Babylon represents a kingdom that is opposed to God's kingdom. In a sense, Babylon epitomizes how Satan actively works to thwart God's mission in this world. Babylon divides, corrupts, turns the nations away from God's plan, but the kingdom of God unites the nations in worship and service of the one true God. Babylon can be traced all the way back to Babel, where at Babel, the whole world was divided based on language. And as we've been learning in this particular series, at Pentecost, the world came back together, interestingly enough, based on language. God unites the world in worship and service of the one true God. When we biblically speak of the nations, we're talking about the Gentiles or those outside of God's chosen people. He's bringing the nations to be his people. Early Christians used Babylon as a prototype of human wickedness and rebellion as a symbol in relation to the immoral spirit that characterized the Roman Empire. Babylon and Rome symbolically stand in direct opposition to everything God's kingdom stands for. The spirit of Babylon terrorizes, traumatizes, oppresses, and enslaves not good neighbors to have. And for that reason, in John's vision of the final judgment of Babylon, he heard a great multitude in heaven, and they rejoiced, saying, Alleluia! Salvation and glory and honor and power unto the Lord our God, for true and righteous are his judgments. For he hath judged the great whore which did corrupt the earth with her fornication, and hath avenged the blood of his servants at her hand. Revelation 19, verses 1 through 2. Having understood all of that, it's very clear why Jesus used such strong language when teaching about some of the kingdom's implications in the end time. The spirit of Babylon had been long working, enticing the nations with idolatry and perversion and fornication. 
leaving all manner of spiritual and physical carnage in its wake. But when the kingdom of God arrives, it marks the beginning of the end for Babylon. At last, wicked Babylon, who had caused so much suffering and sin and injustice in the world, would be cast down with violence and found no more. The kingdom of God's arrival was also the beginning of a great rescue operation. Babylon's prison doors that held the nations captive were about to be kicked in. A light for the Gentiles would shine forth to open the blind eyes and bring out the prisoners from the prison and them that sit in darkness out of the prison house. Isaiah 42, verse 7. Also, Amos 5, verse 24. Kingdom judgment, described by Jesus as separation, means liberation for captives, healing for the wounded, and punishment for the wicked. God will right every wrong. And that's why this parable of the net helps to summarize the beautiful kingdom of God message of Matthew 13. Jesus was communicating the urgency of the kingdom's purpose for creation. Evil had infiltrated and corrupted everyone in God's created order. Sin put a wedge between humans and their creator and created hostility among people that manifest in violence, theft, ideologies such as racism or ethnocentrism. The evil that has kept people separated from God and one another is the same evil that has caused personal and collective trauma in God's good world. And when he created, it was very good. But when sin corrupted it, sin tried to separate us from God for eternity. But (laughs) Jesus came as the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. God himself in flesh came to clean up the mess we made. What grace! Wickedness, such as that sin, demands justice. And so in that day, God will pour out his judgment. But at Calvary, God poured out his judgment, but not on us. He poured it out on himself, so he would not have to pour it out on us when we would be covered by his precious blood. But in that day, for those who have not responded rightly to the gospel, there will be no escape. So every one of us who hears this kingdom of God announcement, this gospel, must decide while there is still time, on which side of God's justice would we like to be? Would we like to be like the disciples who were the original hearers, who were comforted by this parable that one day the righteous will be vindicated and the wicked will be judged? In this parable of the net, Jesus likened them to the good fish, but those who did not hear and rightly respond were likened to the bad. As we hear this parable, may our hearts be filled with the same hope of ultimate justice. Evil does not have the final word. And at the same time, let us feel the weight of these words and be moved with compassion. For with this parable, our Lord sends us into the world on mission as witnesses of his kingdom's arrival to celebrate the hope Jesus will soon return and rescue us while we work to reach everybody from every culture, every race, and every background. One last question. What are some ways you can be a bridge to reach others not like you? And with that, we wrap this up. At times it's helpful just to step away from the text and read from a different perspective. Many times we put ourselves in the narrative when you hear the word as it speaks directly to us, but what if we were to read this series of parables from Matthew 13 from an outsider's perspective? And many of us in the North American church are the nations. We are the Gentiles. The vast majority of people 
in our world, in our churches, would be considered Gentiles in Jesus's and the disciples' world. Most of us cannot trace our lineage back to ethnic Israel, no matter how much Ancestry.com we use. That means we are the birds of all kinds who have come to make our nests in the branches of this great mustard tree. We are the fish of all kinds Jesus is pulling into the net. When we and our ancestors who came before us heard the gospel for the first time, we had to receive it as fertile soil. We have figuratively sold all to obtain this most precious treasure called the kingdom. We became the good seed God planted in his field, and now we stand out of the world as wheat among weeds. So on this very special Sunday, this All Nations Sunday, we have reason to celebrate. We gather in corporate worship to celebrate the fact that by the mercy of God, God has made room for every one of us from every ethnicity, every culture. And he has grafted us into his chosen people. These parables affirm that when we are all pulled onto the shore and sorted out of his net at the end of time, we will be gathered into his vessel. On that day, we will gather around the throne before the Lamb, clothed with white robes, with palms in our hands, crying with a loud voice, saying, Salvation to our God, which sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb. We are all part of God's intercultural kingdom. So today, let's enjoy all of our stories as a witness of God's inclusive kingdom. And let's pray for God to open our hearts to receive this revelation of his kingdom and to join our hearts together across cultural lines to celebrate the arrival of this glorious kingdom. Lord, we love you today. Help us, Jesus, to open wide our hearts to receive this glorious gospel, no matter where we are from where we are, no matter what stage in our relationship with you we are. Help us, Lord, to open wide our hearts. I want to respond rightly to it. I want to be like those in the end time who are gathered closer to you, not separated from you. And help join our hearts, Lord, with those who are like us and those who are not like us, with those from different cultures and different ethnicities and backgrounds and countries and language and people groups. I pray, Jesus, join us together as the church all across the world to hear and respond to this gospel and to share it with others. I pray, God, let the body of Christ be stronger than it has ever been and more diverse than it has ever been. I pray all of this and thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much, God's Word for Life listeners. Hey, be sure to subscribe, like, follow, share, and we will continue to grow in our relationship with Jesus, continue to grow in our relationship with each other, be sure to share this episode and other episodes with those you love. Also, head to PentecostalPublishing.com. You'll find some wonderful resources there that will help you grow in your relationship with God. You'll find curriculum that stems from this God's Word for Life family, for children, youth, adults. All of those are there at PentecostalPublishing.com. You can pick up leaders' guides, daily devotional guides, resource kits, wonderful resources to help you grow in your walk and relationship with Jesus. And if you use promo code GWFL10, GWFL10, you can save 10% off your entire order the first time you use that promo code. Hey, I want to say thank you to all those who are listening. Last 30 days, we have had over 9,500 downloads. We are getting so close to 10,000 downloads per month. And I say thank you to all of you listening to the God's Word for Life podcast. Continue to listen, and we will continue to grow together. We've got one more 
parable in the parables of Jesus. And I'm going to miss these because I love the parables. And it is the parable of the banquet. I'm looking forward to sharing that with you next week. And always look forward to learning and living out God's Word for Life. Thank you for listening to God's Word for Life Lesson Companion Podcast, where together we explore what it means to live out God's Word in our lives. If you haven't yet, make sure to subscribe to this podcast. And if you are looking for other Bible study tools and resources to encourage you in your walk with God, visit us today at PentecostalPublishing.com.